Greetings, the worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, I'd like to look at some scriptures in 1 Samuel where we've been uh, studying uh, the Word uh, together in our uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday morning uh, adult Bible studies and the things that we come across and the things that we learn. Pretty important, pretty incredible, and uh, helpful to us. So we're following David basically running for his life because King Saul is chasing him, wanting to kill him simply because of his envy and his jealousy. Jealousy will lead you to a rage that you are um, actually, you know that command that says, thou shalt not kill, the Lord Jesus says, but if you hate a man, uh, you know, this jealousy is so strong that if you hate someone, it's the same as uh, murdering them. You would uh, actually, in your mind, murder someone with this thing called jealousy. So, uh, but also I want to just uh, think about this portion and call it uh, stinking thinking. Because sometimes we think the wrong things and they have a incredible consequences on our lives. And so we uh, pray that, uh, you know, the Lord will help us with these things and that we will not live by, uh, uh, not be affected by so much of what we see, but affected by what we believe in the Bible, the Word of God. So God help us with this. So I wanted to look at uh, David. You know, the first... Uh, Saul tries to kill David, first in his own palace by throwing a javelin at him, trying to nail him to the wall, pin him to the wall with his own javelin, while David's playing a harp, trying to soothe the evil spirit that troubles Saul. Because, <laughs> you know, Saul's in a big mess because, you know, he refused to obey the Lord. And the Lord has already anointed David, unbeknownst to Saul, already anointed David to be the king. And so now they bring David in, just, just so happened to be David that they brought in to play the harp for Saul when this evil spirit troubles him. So he tries uh, two times. Oh, I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. I think it's three times. Yep. Three times. Not two. Three times that Saul tries to stick David to the wall with his javelin in his palace while David's trying to, you know, play his harp to soothe this madman. So David runs. Finally, he runs. And he he's running never to come back. And he meets Jonathan. And uh, sure enough, Jonathan goes and checks this out with, you know, John, first Jonathan doesn't believe that Saul's trying to kill him. But Jonathan, when he confronts his father, oh, my gosh. What, Dave, what Saul says to his son Jonathan is something like this in chapter, I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 20, reading from the New Living Translation. When Saul, when, I'm sorry, when Jonathan, you know, talks to his dad about David, this is Saul's um, response in chapter 20, verse 30. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan, his own, his own son, just because he's talking to him about David. Hey, why do you hate David? Why are you trying to kill him? The guy has never lifted a finger. He's a, he's a good soldier. He's a good citizen. He's a good commander. He's done nothing but good for you. So verse 30, 
Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think you don't know that, do you think that I don't know that you want him to be your king uh, or to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him. No, go and get him so I can kill him. That was Saul's conversation with his son, Jonathan. So Jonathan breaks the news to David. Sure enough, he's going to kill you, you know, so you have to leave. Can't come back. So then he goes and he ends up in a cave in uh, at the cave of Adullam. And uh, um, uh, other men, other Israelites, other Jews, Jewish men start gathering themselves to David. They leave their place. They leave their station and where they are. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, some of them are married or not or what they've done with their families, but they are, they're described this way. People that came to David were in, uh, in trouble or in debt or who were discontent. So they were distressed, depressed, in debt, and uh, what's that last word? discontent. Let me read that again. They were distressed, depressed, in debt, or discontent. That that really <laughs> describes a lot of us, a lot of people that were around, people that simply uh, live for the weekends and, uh, you know, partied up on the weekends trying to forget the rest of their lives. But uh, that's obviously doesn't work. So, but these guys, instead of just being on their own, they gathered themselves to David. They all went to David because he's like the magnet that draws them because he's also uh, distressed. Uh, he's also in a desperate situation. He's running for his life. And uh, um, not that he's in debt, but uh, uh, they realize that, that David is a righteous guy and he's being punished uh, you know, wrongly. And, and they're drawn to him for that. Now, so we have sympathy for people that are punished unrightly. We, we have sympathy for the underdog. Aren't we often pulling for the underdog in sports and things like that and in situations? Well, yes, we are, but it's more than that because they can relate to him. So they gather themselves at this cave. There's 400 guys. I can't imagine what 400 guys living in a cave with David. He's responsible for them now. He's responsible for their food, the order. You know, and, you know, these were not also just like real nice guys necessarily. So he's responsible for their behavior. But since they're gathering to him, they call him their chief, their leader. And so he's in charge. And they're living in a cave. What do you do for food? What do you do for, you know, sanitation? So he's in charge of all this. So one day Saul is, uh, that's just a setup to tell you that Saul one day comes looking for David in the wilderness, and on his travels, he he turns aside from his travels to go into a cave and relieve himself. It just so happens that Saul, King Saul, goes into the very cave that David and his men are hiding in. Wow. So there's Saul, and uh, David's men are saying, this is your chance. God has given you a chance. This is your chance. God has delivered Saul into your hands. This is your chance to go finish him off, you know. So David 
not about to lay a hand on God's anointed, because God anointed Saul to be king. Yes, he'd already anointed David to be king, but Saul was still the reigning king, and David knew that this was not about um, a just war theory that we have these days. This was not the. This was a beef that King Saul had, a personal enemy of David. And so the Lord said, you know, clearly in Scripture says the God says, um, you know, do not do not avenge yourself of your enemies. The Lord says. Behold, vengeance is mine. I, the Lord says, I will repay. Not you. You leave that to me, God says. So David leaves him alone. So David sneaks up on, cuts off a piece of his robe. And when fall, you know, Saul is long gone, you know, in shouting distance, David holds up the robe and says, you know, I could have killed you and I spared your life. King Saul is deeply convicted, goes home, you know, stops chasing David for a short time. And so then we go on. Uh, I want to look at uh, next. So I think this again. Now David is up to 600 men in the next chapter, chapter 23. And then, uh, um, then David is on the run again. And he's left us the uh, cave of Adullam. I'm going into chapter uh, oh, 24, 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. After Saul returned to fighting the Philistines, he was distracted for a while by fighting the gods, you know, the army, the enemies of God. This was his job was to fight the enemies of God, not David, but the enemies, the, one, the ones that wanted to uh, conquer Israel and God's people. So the Philistines. So after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness to En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops. These are the special ops of Israel's armies, 3,000 of them. And so uh, they went to search for David, all these special op guys, and Saul. And verse uh, 3, at the place where the road passes uh, some sheepfolds, Saul went to the cave. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the same as the Saul went to the, the cave to relieve himself. So let's go on. Let me go on to uh, um, the next situation. Okay, the next situation is not Saul and David. It's Nabal, this fool. His name means fool. Nabal in chapter 25 of um, 1 Samuel. And uh, Nabal is a selfish guy. He's very wealthy and selfish as well. So uh, David and his men are watching over, you know, Nabal's men, Nabal's flocks. And it comes shearing time, time to share, and, you know, a really festive time. And so uh, David sends to Nabal a message. Hey, how about, uh, you know, um, sharing a little bit with us since we've been around your guys, protecting your guys, protecting your sheep. Um, you know, wouldn't you uh, care to share with us a little bit? Nabal sends back a bad report. Says, "Who?" Let me just read it right now. Nabal says, "Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws?" So that was the message to David. So David gets really hot 
all of a sudden, just like that, his anger boils. He says to his guys, get your swords. So they all strap on their swords and they're headed for Nabal's place. Nabal's wife is a wise, beautiful woman named Abigail. And so she finds out that Nabal sent this horrible message back to David, really um, disgraced him. This is a, you know, Middle Eastern is a society based on honor, not just wealth or law, but honor. He really insulted David. This is a life and death, you know, situation when you insult somebody in the Middle East. So, uh, of course, the Lord found that out. The Lord knew that, too. In his day. So, because he insulted the, he really told the truth to the Pharisees, which was insulting them. So, Abel, I'm sorry, so not Nabal, but Abigail goes to intercede for David. So, let me just, uh, um, let me just break in in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, verse 25. And when Abigail, Abigail saw, saw David, she made preparations to bring him food and uh, to have her guys get a bunch of stuff together. And then she ran out. She went riding out on a donkey to meet David before he gets, you know, to, to Nabal and, and uh, you know, their, their encampment. So Abigail saw David go uh, and she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame for this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know that Nabal is a wicked man, an ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young man that you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. She's interceded. For Nabal, and she has actually stepped in between Nabal and David and his 600 men about to kill all the men under Nabal, Nabal and all of his men. She intercedes and she stops him and she talks to him and <laughs> she gives such an incredible uh, message to him. Let me go down. Um, Let all your enemies be, be as those who try to harm you as 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 to be as cursed as Nabal is. Verse 27. And here is a present that I, that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. Wow. This is true intercession. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. Oh my gosh. This woman is lifting David up to a position that he had fallen from. He's in the midst of anger and murder in his own thought, in his own, in his own mind, in his own heart. She is changing all that. Wow. This is powerful, women. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. You'll be lifting, you'll be fighting the Lord's battles, and you have done no wrong uh, throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord. You are God's, I'm sorry, You're, I'm sorry. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God, secure in his treasure pouch is the way that uh, the, new King, the New Living Translation puts it. But in the bundle of his love, uh, bundled up in his love is, is kind of what the King James says. 
she says, your life is safe. Does that ring any bells with uh, the Lord's words or the Lord, you know, I'm sorry, uh, you know, words from the New Testament? I'm thinking of Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation. You're free, guilt-free. And if God before you, who can be against you? You're safe. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's all Romans chapter 8. All things, we just had it this morning as memory verse, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things good for you, for your blessing and God's glory. So I think of that when she says, your life is safe. And so what a wise, I don't know where she got this wisdom, how she was taught. Great wisdom. And so it's your life is safe and in the center of the Lord your God, secure in the treasure in his treasure pouch. God's treasury. What is that, you know, that you're God's treasure? Does that ring you any bells in the in the New Testament? How about Ephesians chapter 2, uh, uh, 7, when the Lord, you know, Paul lays out that we are his masterpiece. We are his poema. And that God has chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the earth. And that, and that he is going to display us, put <laughs> basically us on display in eternity as trophies of his grace. How much love he's poured out on us. So she's saying, you're safe and you're treasured by God. Saint, you're in the same boat. Safe and treasured by God. So then, uh, again, uh, go through this quickly. You know, so Abigail averts this murderous deed that David is about to commit and puts him back up on this high plane of being thankful to God, worshiping God, acknowledging that she's right and going on. And then they, uh, um, another uh, incident where uh, um, uh, uh, Saul comes, uh, you know, uh, seeking after David again. Okay, this is a chapter 26. So we just read this this morning in uh, um, our Bible study. So Saul hears that uh, he gets word from these traitors that are, you know, rat people that rat. There's always around people around you that will rat on you, right? So these people from Ziph come to Saul. Hey, they want to make points with Saul. Hey, Saul, don't you know David's out here hiding in the wilderness? So Saul gets 300 of his best men in Israel, the special ops, 3,000 special ops, and Saul to go and find David, hunt him down, and kill him. So they go a little ways, and then they uh, um, they uh, they they stop for the evening. This is about the place where where uh, Saul is. You know they're going to find David. They camp out, and they put Saul in the middle. Uh, uh, you know in his camp, and then all the soldiers lying around him, going to sleep at night because it's you know so you know they have to sleep. So they're going to get up and uh, go search for David and try to kill him in the next day. And so uh, uh, they lie, the, the soldiers lie all around Saul, King Saul, and put him in the middle. And Abner, his chief soldier, his, his chief general, is right there next to him. And so instead of laying around him like spokes on a wheel, I think that they laid around him, head to toe, head to toe, head to toe, all around him, so that when David comes into that camp in the middle of the night, sneaks in, he has to actually step over these soldiers to get to Saul. So that's exactly what happens. They're all sound asleep. David sneaks in with another guy, Abishai, and uh, 
they take the spear next to Saul's head, and Abishai wants to use it to pin him to the, to the ground. David says, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Again, he's just showing great restraint. This is God's job to take care of him because this is just a personal beef, a personal enemy. We're not talking about the just war theory that we, you know, implore these days. So, uh, so, so <laughs> after all, they sneak into this camp. They take the spear and a cruise of water. They say, then they sneak back out and then David starts yelling, you know, when he's far, far away. Hey, Abner, wake up. You know, you should be, I think he says, you know, you should be put to death because you didn't even uh, protect your, your captain, the king, the king of Israel. You should lose your life for that. And then, uh, um, so then uh, 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 Saul realizes that David could have killed him a second time and he spared his life, showed restraint. And so Saul confesses his guilt, says, oh, come home, son. You know, I won't try to kill anymore. I obviously, he didn't believe that. So, so David goes on his way back out to the wilderness. And then David, you know, uh, uh, or Saul goes back home to the palace. So then the very next chapter, the very first verse says, so all these Warnings, you know, from uh, or admonitions, I should say, from David to David, from Abigail and from others that we didn't take time to look up, say, you're safe. Even Jonathan swore, uh, I didn't take time to read it, but Jonathan that uh, David had a, a pact with, they were like knit together, their souls. They, Jonathan loved David so much. And so even Jonathan says, I know that. Uh, uh, you will reign in place of my father and I'll reign with you. That's what he was saying to David. You're safe. He told him, you're safe. So all these messages that David's getting, that God's going to deliver him, don't worry, you're going to be safe and uh, things are going to be okay. Chapter 27, verse 1 says, but David kept thinking to himself, quote, someday Saul's going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines, the enemy of God. So in, in uh, King James, I think it says, um, I'm but one breath away, one step away from death. One of these days, Saul's going to kill me. After all these miraculous deliverances, after all that he's done, Saul's going to kill me. And then he goes and joins up with the Philistines. God's enemies and then he ends up you know just almost being in, he's enlisted into war when the philistines go to war with the with the israelites you know king achish really believes that uh, david's on his side that he's his personal body uh, guard and that uh, and that he's going to take him to war with them but the other generals say no 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 don't take david you know this could turn on us david almost ends up fighting his own brethren, his own nation, his own country. So he spared from that because the Israel, the uh, uh, you know the um, the Philistines wouldn't allow it, wouldn't allow him to go to battle with him. But I'm just saying this idea: all this time that David is safe, and then he thinks, "I'm just one step away from death. One of these days, Saul's going to get me." This is called stinking thinking. So we were talking about this this morning. And how important it is to have your, to be careful about what you think about. What you, you know, say and think in your own mind. So, um, uh, 
uh, like in Second Corinthians ten five, um, that's the famous passage where you know taking every thought captive to the lordship of Christ. If it doesn't match up with the Bible, if it doesn't match up with God's word, get rid of it. You got to take that thought captive, and you know imprison it. Get rid of it. And instead, Paul writes later on Philippians. Think on these things, whatsoever things are true or honest or right or pure or lovely and uh, 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 admirable. Um, these things, these things, that's what you're supposed to think about. And even uh, uh, that was a part of the uh, Thursday, Thursday Bible study in Philippians chapter 3 and 4. Let me turn there right now. We'll wrap this up because, you know, uh, if you let your mind wander and drift, uh, it's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. We're controlled. How many people are controlled by the past? Isn't it incredible how David had absolutely no fear of a giant like Goliath? God's enemies, the enemies of God's people. No fear of them. No fear of the Philistines. Always conquering. Always going out. Never showing any any concern about going to fight these people but when someone that knows him personally and 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 these you know they've got the relationships back and forth somebody that has a relationship with him that twists his mind right away Saul's going to get me Saul's going to kill me how could they you know we we are, we are so uh, uh, quick and easy to trust our eternal souls to God forever to you know keep us with Him, that nothing can separate us from God's love, that we're going to be taken to heaven, live with glory in Him for, with Him forever, and yet we can't trust Him for, you know, the situations we're involved in today. Sometimes we're controlled by the past. Sometimes we're controlled by these people that we have relationships with. We can't seem to break that. Just like David. Hello? This is so good. So I want to just read this in closing. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, this is this is so important. It's Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter three. And I'll I'll break in at verse um, nine. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I've become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Not how we feel. Not the feelings that we have on, in the past that, you know, things have gone south, things have gone wrong. Depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or the other, whether I'm martyred for my faith or I die at the end of my life, one way or another, I'm going to share in the, in the experience of the resurrection from the dead. Now, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, so that I've already reached perfection, uh, but I press on because I haven't. Paul says I haven't reached these perfection, obviously. But I press on to possess that <clears throat> perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, brother, dear brothers, I, sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting what is past, forgetting what is past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on 
to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Listen, every one of us has a calling, not just the Apostle Paul. Every one of us has a calling. And if you allow your past or how you feel about yourself or what you think about yourself to guide your, you're never going to get to your calling. You're going to be running from this enemy all the time thinking, I'm just, I'm just no good. I'm just one step away from death. And you get involved in these emotional deals with just like David did with Saul. And it's, utterly useless it keeps it's only it's damaging it keeps you from pressing on just like paul said to that high calling for that which god has called me for what has he called you for every one of us has a calling are you are you doing that have you you know most of us don't even know what that calling is <laughs> i'm still trying to figure out what my calling is right okay so guess what Get involved in serving him. The things that affect you, the things that draw you, the things that your past experiences that are leading you to where you are now and get involved in serving him. God called you before the foundations of the earth and he ordained you to be fruitful, to be productive, not to be a, a bump on a log, a fence post, a looky-loo, okay? To be productive. God help every one of us to... to to look at our lives and ask, what are we doing for the glory of God? What are we doing for, you know, the ministry that God's called us to? Are we forgetting what lies behind? Are we thinking on the right things that lead us forward? The glass is always half full when you're thinking on these things instead of the negative glass is half empty type of guys. God, spare us from this. Move ahead with joy and confidence, knowing, just like David, knowing that we're safe, that God's called us. Whew, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for calling us, Ben, crackpots like us, to serve you. We actually have an incredible, glorious future ahead of us if we serve you now. So just keep that in mind. God bless you. Thanks.